Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The UAW adds yet another factory to their strike list. Hollywood Studios in SAG-AFTRA finally resuming bargaining. And today on the show, the former political director of the AFL-CIO and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Welcome to the Tuesday, October 24th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with a newcomer. Michael Podhorzer is his name. He's an American political strategist. In fact, he served as political director of the AFL-CIO and as a senior advisor to their former and late president, Richard Trumka. Mike has worked in progressive politics since 1976. He was associate director for Citizen Action also worked at the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. He came to the AFL-CIO in 1997. And while there, he helped establish Working America, that's the community partner of the Labor Federation, which has grown to 3 million members nationwide. He also serves as the executive director to Workers Voice, which is a super PAC And as a political director, Mike led the AFL-CIO strategy of counteracting the influence of spending by Republican-allied super PACs by stepping up the ground game, going back to the uh, 2012 elections. We'll talk about that. In fact, uh, at that time, the uh, Labor Fed had more than 400,000 activists to work on the fall 2012 election and on Election Day. The Federation deployed up to 6,000 poll monitors to watch voting booths. <laughs> and voting is still under fire today. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about unions, the role of unions in advocating for workers' rights and fair treatment. We'll also touch on the UAW strike, which expanded yesterday. I'll get to that in a moment. Later in the show, we're going to check in with our longtime independent labor voice, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Mr. Tommy Buffenbarger. And we're going to touch on burning the house down. You know, there are many in the GOP that don't like, well, they don't like democracy. They do like Trump. And if Trump gets in office, he said the first thing he's going to do is pretty much fire about 50,000 federal workers. He wants to just tear down government. And uh, Tom Hartman did an op-ed on this. Tom Hartman is a great uh, commentator and a writer. And what he did, he took a look at the red states and the blue states. And in the red states, you have low-income working people who don't have access to Medicaid. So if they or their kids get sick, they either go bankrupt or die. Public education under attack with voucher programs designed to fully privatize the schools, fewer scholarship programs for higher education, women denied reproductive rights, districts are so gerrymandered that voting 
is largely a symbolic exercise. Now, if you go into the blue states, women live as much as two years longer. Overall life expectancy is higher. Cancer rates are lower. Heart disease can be as much as five times lower than in red states. Children's are less likely to die from gunfire. Vast majority of people fully insured for health care. Babies and new moms far less likely to die than in red states. So why do they want to tear down the government if the government is helping people? Okay. Good question to ask. And uh, we'll talk about that and more and also the current situation, the political situation in the House of Representatives, which seems to be going nowhere. Now, brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, the week-long United Auto Workers strike intensified Monday when 6,800 employees at Stellantis walked off the job at the automaker's largest plant outside Detroit. This is the Sterling Heights Assembly Plant, which produces the Ram 1500 trucks, one of the company's best-selling vehicles, with another 6,800 in the fold. UAW now has more than 40,000 workers on strike across Ford, GM, and Stellantis, the parent company of Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram. Stellantis said it was outraged that the UAW decided to strike after company officials met with union leaders and had multiple conversations that appeared to be productive. In fact, they said the most recent contract offer would increase employee retirement contributions by nearly 50% and add job security protections. Stellantis said in a statement, our very strong offer would address member demands and provide immediate financial gains for our employees. Instead, the UAW has decided to cause further harm to the entire automotive industry as well as our local, state, and national economies. Still, UAW leaders say Stellantis, well, they had the weakest contract offer on the table among the big three. Each automaker has now proposed a 23% wage increase. Now, that's over four years, and there are some key differences in the offer from Stellantis, according to the UAW. Despite having generated the highest revenue, profits, and cash reserves among the big three, according to the union, Stellantis has failed to meet union demands with its latest offer, specifically on temporary worker pay, COLA, and other areas. Now, the company has not publicized its latest offer, but according to the union's tally, the most recent proposal does not offer profit-sharing pay to temporary workers, and the cost-of-living adjustment does not take effect in the first year of the contract. Under the latest proposal, it would also take employees four years, four years, to reach the top pay rate, while Ford and GM's proposal offers top pay rates in three years. So that's a problem. UAW leaders and automakers have spent weeks trying to produce a new four-year labor contract. However, the Stellantis strike suggests the UAW leadership and company officials are not close. No, 
Now, mind you, the big three made a combined $21 billion in total profits in just the first six months of this year. And they're still refusing to settle contracts, according to the UAW. Organized labor experts noted that the Sterling Heights walkout marks the second time that the union has made a surprise strike on one of the automakers, the first being earlier this month when 8,700 UAW members walked out of a Ford plant in Kentucky. That pressure will continue to escalate unless the automakers, especially Stellantis, make greater concessions. That comment from Lynn Vincent. Now, Lynn's a business management professor at Syracuse University, and she studies the psychological impacts of strikes. She said the latest move is consistent with the union's unfolding strategy, which is to not play by the traditional playbook, escalate as needed, and be nimble. And that strategy is unpredictable. The UAW strike began last month when thousands of workers left their posts when the contract between the workers and the automakers expired. That was on September 14th. And since then, the automakers have laid off thousands of employees, blamed their moves on the prolonged work stoppage. Stellantis has laid off about 1,500 employees across Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. The UAW members who stopped working, now they're paid through the union strike fund, the strike so far has caused $9.3 billion in losses for the U.S. auto industry. That includes $488 million in wages lost for striking auto workers and $4.18 billion in losses for the big three. Sean Fain was quoted as saying yesterday, if, uh, if they would have agreed to a contract right away, we would be already talking, if you add all that money up, a dollar an hour raise for every auto worker. We're talking 150,000 auto workers. But they're, they're still at a standstill here. They're making progress. Don't get me wrong here. But they still have uh, some room to move. SAG-AFTRA and the, uh, the motion picture producers issued a joint statement announcing they are resuming bargaining today. Two sides are returning to the table as pressure is mounting on the union to reach a deal with the studios, as demonstrated by the failed proposal that George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Scarlett Johansson, and other A-list actors presented a SAG after leadership last week. That announcement came shortly after Fran Drescher, the president of SAG-AFTRA, published an article commemorating the 100th day of the strike and called for management to return to the table. She said that SAG-AFTRA members are in a David and Goliath righteous fight for the future of our profession and our industry. She also noted that when negotiations between the union in management resumed earlier this month, that was on October 2nd, the CEOs gave the union only two full-day and three half-day bargaining sessions to resolve contentious issues like streaming rights, artificial intelligence, 
minimum compensation increases. And this was before the management walked away again on October 11th. So uh, we'll see if they're going to make any progress this time. In the meantime, with Halloween approaching, SAG-AFTRA has instructed its members, many of whom are active content creators, not to post pictures of themselves dressed as characters from major productions, which could be perceived as promoting struck work. Despite pushback from some major stars, Ryan Reynolds tweeted, I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn. The Guild continues to encourage its members to stick with generic costumes, like a ghost, a zombie, or a spider this year, rather than specific characters like Barbie. Oh, my gosh. 40,000 members of Las Vegas's Culinary Workers Union, that would be Local 226, including guest room attendants, kitchen workers, bellmen, laundry cooks, servers, and porters. They have been working without a contract since the middle of last month, September 15th, and they are prepared to strike for the first time in 39 years. Workers at 18 hotels and resorts owned by MGM Resorts International, Caesars Entertainment, and Wynn Encore Resorts are seeking raises and reduced hours. And get this, Vegas room rates, they've risen 95%. Well, there's been an 11% decrease in resort industry jobs since 2019, forcing people to work more without a share of the resort's rewards. Workers without a contract held practice pickets down the strip last week to signal their preparedness to go on strike. And you know, if if they go on strike, which is very likely right now, Vegas is going to be shut down. I mean, we're talking a lot of hotels, a lot of 40,000 members of the Culinary Workers Union. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the former political director of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW dot O-R-G. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong 
and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Everything is archived there, including yesterday's show. We had Wayne Cressup on the show yesterday. I want to do a shout-out here to Local 6. Wayne is at Local 6 in Buffalo, New York today, meeting with Foreman to talk about fall protection. They have a pilot program that they're rolling out, and obviously, as an iron worker, you want to make sure that safety on the job is number one. They do a great job on that in their apprenticeship programs, and uh, they're rolling out that program. They, they did have a a program that they rolled out in Toledo a couple years ago, and they updated that program. So I just want to do a shout-out here to Local 6 of the uh, Iron Workers. And the Great Lakes District Council, which includes that area, is also a proud sponsor of America's Workforce. All right, let's go to line number one. Welcome a newcomer to the show. Mike Podhorzer is his name, and he is formerly the political director of the AFL-CIO. In fact, uh, spent a long time at the AFL-CIO from... 1997 to last year. Mike, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. I, I guess you, you you were born and raised in Boston, found your way to D.C. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, <laughs> especially now, especially yeah. now. But uh, let me ask you this. I, I read your bio at the top of the show. I'm very, very impressed with the work that you've done. You worked at AFSCME Thank as well. You. but. But to get involved in politics, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting part in itself. Tell me about growing up and what made you to decide to take this path in life. Let's start right there, brother. Go ahead. Sure, and I'm really glad to be with you. It's such a great um, show you do, and it's, a, it's really, at this point, really important for people to have a place to gather to talk about union and workplace issues. Uh, so I uh, um, became involved in politics at a really young age. Uh, basically, became was 12 when in 1968, which was a pretty big year in America, and it really um, you know pulled me into the tumult and the challenges of the time, whether it's civil rights movement or just the various uh, forces that were in play at the time. And I never really looked back and, you know, continued um, activism until uh, I got out of high school and then um, came to Washington and basically been doing 
uh, community and then uh, work play, worker organizing and activism ever since. And uh, somehow sort of got involved in electoral politics fairly early and sort of never got out of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see you helped establish Working America, which uh, which has, I believe, like three million members. And this is a way right. for, for people to get involved in a union without having a union, right? Is that still exactly. like working working pretty well? Uh, then? Yeah, it is going really well. And as you say, it's, it's uh, your listeners, and you know very well. It's, many, many more people want uh, you know, the kinds of things that a union can bring them into be in uh, union together to do uh, better on the, basically making a decent life. But unfortunately, you know, it's a very, if you're not in a workplace that has a union already, it's very difficult to establish one. So the idea of Working America was really to provide a way for people who don't yet have a union to at least start to get some of the benefits, obviously nowhere near what you get if you're a union member, but still, uh, where we can act collectively and exert influence over the political and legislative process. Well, let's talk about the intersection of unions and politics. And I, I see when you were political director, you uh, you led a campaign. This was going back uh, when Obama was running for re-election in 2012. And uh, this right. was pretty much to counter the GOP messaging. Let's take me back to that time because from, well, obviously it was successful. Obama <laughs> was, was, was reelected there, but uh, you know, there's a lot of components to a political campaign and a lot of it, especially, I always say this boots on the ground. Labor has boots on right. the ground. Talk, talk to me about that, Mike. Sure. And, and actually the, the key moment with Obama was in 2008, right? And I know someone who you've had on before, uh, Rich Trumka, um, who was then Secretary of Treasury at the FLCIO, played a crucial role because uh, before the nomination, before Obama had won the nomination, but was sort of clearly headed towards it, you know, there was uh, you know a lot of sort of. Um, reservations because of his race right and rich made a really powerful speech that was just one of the first things to go viral um at that time which was basically telling uh talking to union members and saying you know uh there are a thousand reasons to vote for Obama and only one to vote against him and just called it out. And that was a real turning point in that campaign in the labor movement because, you know, by, by just saying the quiet part out loud, it really sort of opened the door to um, the really enormous support working people provided Obama in 2008 in that election. Did uh, Rich get some pushback on that when he spoke out? Do you remember uh, that part? Yeah, oh, of course. I think not as much as you might think. I think it was, you know, one of those things that once it like, hit the light of day, yeah. it was very difficult to argue with, right? It was more of kind of a, a 
uh, it had been sort of whispering, right? But mm-hmm. that's one of the really, was one of the really great things about Rich is that sometimes it takes someone with the courage to lead to give everybody else who is already kind of thinking that the permission to say that as well. And the reason that uh, the labor political program has been so effective is that its foundation is not really ads or the high-tech politicking, but the fact that working people see each other every day in their job and Mm -hmm. talk about politics and that's something that really doesn't happen in most other parts of America. And when working people together in a local or at a work site are talking about, you know, what McCain or Obama would do, right? That's, that's where the power is, right? Because yeah. you see that not only sort of what's true and not true about what each candidate will do, but also where you can decide to act together and have, an even greater voice to go back to your community and tell your neighbors who have a lot of respect for your opinion, you know, this is why I'm voting for Obama, whoever the candidate is. And then, Mm -hmm. as you said, you know, in, on a typical, you know, weekend before the election, there are several hundred thousand union members out there doing GOTV. So today, you're involved in politics, obviously. You can't you can't walk away sure. from this. This 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 yeah. is something that's in your blood right now. And right. I see you're chairman of the board of the Analyst Institute and also uh, America Votes and Defend Democracy. And I'll tell you, we're hearing a lot about attacks on democracy today. Sure. And that's gotta raise your blood pressure to some degree, especially with what happened on January sixth. And of what course. scares me is how many people still believe, still believe that the election, the 2020 election was rigged. How do you take that? How, how do you, how do you handle that, Mike, especially <laughs> with, with, with people just don't want to, I guess, consider the facts in the case. Right. I think that, I think it's um, very much a product of, you know, a, the, you know, an information bubble that a lot of people have chosen uh, to live in where you know, the, they, they, there's a reality to those lies that's hard to penetrate, right? And that's why this country uh, really is so toxically divided, um, because we can't agree on what's true. Right. So... <laughs> Here's the $64,000 question. Yeah. How do, how do we fight back on that one? How, how do we penetrate that? Because there's people that you know, you know this, they're not changing their mind. They're not changing their mind at all. And they think that the whole system is corrupt. And we got to, in fact, just eliminate all government altogether. In fact, our next guest is going to talk about that on the show. But um, And you know him, Tom Buffenbarger. Right. But... Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. what's your answer to that? If, well, if there is I an think, answer. Well, I think the, 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 you know, an answer that won't happen in the next 24 hours, but has been true for the you know, history of this country is that we need to be able to have 
more people engage in collective action like being in a union, right? If you look, the, you know, there's an almost one-to-one for the states that are right to work and that believe the election lies and support all of those things, right? The, uh-huh. They're um, almost, almost every state that is right to work is 100% bought into that whole way of thinking. Yeah. And that is not a coincidence, right? Because in places where there's a robust labor movement, working people are not um, as uh, susceptible to the kind of lies that are easy to put across when you really have no way of like talking in an organized way, talking to your fellow working person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's why, you know, the, again, it's not a coincidence. The people who don't want democracy don't want people being able to act together easily. Right. And, and so, you know, and when in other countries, fascists and other anti-democrats have taken over, one of the first things they do is outlaw labor unions, mm-hmm. right? Because having a strong labor movement is indispensable to having a strong democracy. And Mike, you can add media to that, media attacks by uh, right-wing politicians. All right, we have to take a quick break. Mike Pothorzer joining us. Former political director of the AFL-CIL will continue our conversation with him. Later in the show, our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be joining us back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. GE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. 
Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go back to our live line. And joining us from just outside Washington, D.C. today is Mike Pothorzer, who is the former political director of the AFL-CIO, also your advisor to the former president of the AFL-CIO, who passed away suddenly a couple of years ago, Rich Trumka. Mike uh, worked at the AFL-CIO from 1997 to 2022. Let's talk labor here. You, We touched on the importance of labor, especially when it comes to political action. And I'm sure you're quite captivated, as I, with the UAW strike, which is now uh, going into uh, almost week number six. I think it's 39 days. I'd like to get your take on this. And, uh, and you know, we're in a good climate, as you well know, for organizing and for labor UAW workers have great support, way more than the big three automakers. It's almost four out of five people, according to Gallup, are saying, yeah, we're on your side. We're on your side. That has not happened in years past, not at all. What's, uh, what's your take on what's going on here, Mike? Sure. I think that with, yeah, for a long, too long stretch from you know, around 1981 when Reagan uh, busted the Patco Union until pretty recently. The, there was almost a disappearance of major strikes in this country, and that was a period in which working people really made almost no gains while uh, the economy grew and grew, and all those benefits went um, to the top whatever percent. And I think in the, especially in the wake of COVID, that a lot of working people finally sort of found their voice again and are ready to say we're not going to take this anymore. And so when, whether it's the first writer's guild now the UAW, I think most Americans are ready to see that it's again time for working people to have a voice and to get a better deal. So let's fast forward to next year. You know, I mean, it seems like every four years it gets more complicated, more expensive, uh, more nasty. I guess that's another one. But uh, how do you see, how do you see the intersection of labor issues in, in politics, how the, how this is going to pan out? going into 2024 what's your what's your view on that sure i think that that in the last election in the midterms and going forward uh the um we've hit we've reached a point where it isn't like one narrowly defined issue or another it's really a clear choice about what kind of america people want to live in and an essential ingredient in that direction is whether or not you have the freedom to be in a union and to be able to claim a voice in your rights at work. And that, in that sense, those are going to be crucial issues in 2024. 
and will, I'm sure, again, um, activate and mobilize working people to go out and vote for their own freedom. With the fact that we don't have a speaker in the House right now, has, <laughs> right. Has, has that, which has never happened before, has that pretty much damaged the GOP? And, I, and they've got a long time to repair this damage if they do find a speaker, and they eventually will. But uh, right now, though, how serious is it? Well, it's enormously serious for the country. I think that as you look back on politics since around 2010, though, um, it's pretty clear that like almost nothing has a major impact on the fundamental dividing lines in the country. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, whether it was COVID or the crash and, you know, around, all the, around COVID or Trump's criminality, all of those things, um, it's still, you know, a game that's being played between the 45-yard lines, right? And that in the end, what matters is basically how many people um, in the states that decide the Electoral College decide to come out and vote against four more years of Trump or MAGA, whoever the candidate's going to be, right? If you remember... Um, in 2016, when he won, there was, you know, obviously shock and the idea that Michigan, you know, working class states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania had voted for him. And there was predictions that this was going to be the wave of the future. And if you add Georgia and Arizona, which five states that will, did decide and will continue to decide the direction of the country, since then... Trump and MAGA have lost 23 of the 27 statewide elections in those states because the voter turnout has gone way up, mostly with people who are rejecting that future. And that if that repeats, that'll be the what happens in 2024. Mike, I got one more question here for you. As you know, there's a lot of union brothers and sisters, union brothers and sisters that voted for Trump and will vote for Trump again. And we're just speculating here that he's going to be the candidate next year. What do you say? I mean, you've been working with labor and, and, you know, Biden has done a lot in the first couple of years for organized labor. And many are saying he's the most pro-labor president since FDR, maybe even more so. But still... I mean, the polling doesn't look good. How do you how do you address the people that still that still are siding with uh, with people like Trump? How how do you answer them? Sure. So first of all, as you have probably more than any uh, show like this, people know that uh, you know people. A lot of union members are union members because the place they work are union. And so the, wherever you're going to go, you're going to find people who support Trump for whatever reasons they're going to support him, right? That's just a fact of life. And uh, you know, the role of the union in political activity really goes just up to the point of making it clear to members in terms of their economic and, you know, worker rights where the candidates are. Um, but in the end, we have to recognize some people will 
vote for a variety of other reasons, and that's always been the case. And hopefully, you know, those folks who are going to go and vote for Trump uh, still respect and value what the union does. Uh, And that's the path to the future. Mike, this has been a great conversation. I thank you for joining us. Mike Potholzer, who is the former political director of the AFL-CIO. Let's uh, let's stay in touch on these issues. You know, next year is going to be very interesting. So uh, you take care, stay safe, and stay in touch. Okay, brother? Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Tom Buffenberger, our independent labor voice, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to line number two. Welcome our longtime contributor, Tom Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, and also former president, general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And over the years, we talked a lot about defense and the importance of uh, the jobs in defense and the importance of keeping the government open because we need a good defense. Now, we don't have a speaker in the House. Things are at a standstill, and we could see a possible government shutdown. I believe the date is, uh, what, November 17th. Tom Buffenbarger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You've been around a long time. You're retired, what, six, seven years now. You're probably scratching your head wondering, what the heck is going on with our politics today? I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Go ahead, oh, brother. 
Flash, I, uh, I am befuddled. Here we are in the real world today, two major armed conflicts going on with two allied nations trying to preserve their democracy. And here in America, the, be- the, the beacon on the hill that should be the example for everybody cannot even float leadership who can take action to make sure this country can help our allies defend themselves, but more importantly, defend us. They're not doing their job. They're failing us. And I, I never dreamed I would see our country devolve into such a situation. Right now, the, the military experts and the generals, the Pentagon, and all those who make up that industry are very, very concerned, and I cannot emphasize it enough. We can't get action from Congress to authorize the funding for us to proceed and make the weapon systems or the ammunition we need not just for our allies, but for us. You know, everything we send overseas to help our allies defend themselves comes from our stockpiles. And we are replenishing our stockpiles with newer, more effective weapon systems. But we can't do it because we can't get funding authorized. Now, this is serious business. When a nation can no longer produce the means of its defense, and it's conversely true, whichever way you want to play this formula, when you can't do that, you can't make the means or guarantee the means of prosperity. So this Congress is putting every American citizen, man, woman, and child, at extreme risk right now. And they're, they're playing games on Capitol Hill. We're paying their salaries to do nothing? I can't believe it. It wouldn't work in the uh, industrial world I come from. Nope. If you don't do your job, you don't get paid. It's that simple. These people will continue to get paid during a government shutdown, and they put the rest of the world at risk. This is serious business. And so in a few days, Flash, we're going to face the precipice of a a disaster unless they can get their act together. And sadly, Tom, this is reminiscent of the political divide in the country today. And when you take a look at America, you got the red states and the blue states. We hear that all the time in the media. And if you take a deep dive into the red states and the blue states, a lot of the red states are right-to-work states. Um, there's there's a problem there when it comes to life expectancy, when it comes to education, when it comes to workers' rights, and how people vote. Can we uh, can we get into that? Because uh, I don't want to see another civil war in this country. And there's some that are of the opinion that we may be going in that direction because of this political divide. I'd like to hear your take on this. Well, Flash, if there's a civil war, the blue states are going to win. And the reason is they're the ones who have something really worth fighting for. This whole issue of life expectancy and our health 
system and our general economy and overall well-being have been really very interesting topics for me to follow over the years. It really hit home when I learned at an international labor leaders meeting that took place in Switzerland years and years ago, how many countries around the world people live longer than they do in the United States. Sweden, it's generally seven years longer than we do. We like to think we've got the best medical systems, the best doctors, the best research. We can cure a lot. All these other countries that have so-called socialized medicine, which is most of Europe and Japan, Australia, all the other countries that are advanced industrial societies, they focus on prevention. And the, the statistics prove the point now beyond argument that those countries, the people live, some of them up to 10, the life expectancy is 10 years longer than a person here in the U.S. So this plays into everything else about us. And so taking a deeper dive into it, those states who have what they call the blue state governance that traditionally are considered blue states, democratic-led states, the people live much longer than they do in states like South Carolina. A lot of factors play into this, <clears throat> the quality of life, and that means education, access to good health care, jobs that provide a living wage so that there's a, a vibrant economy. South Carolina, Nikki Haley, a candidate for president, likes to tout her state. And here is a candidate who gutted the education funding for her state to entice one employer, Boeing. She gutted the state's economic support for education. And with that, with the support for a health care system for the citizens. So they're heavy users, not on preventative care, but trying to fix their illnesses and diseases down there. It's not a healthy state. It's not an economically viable state. And this is the type of person who offers herself up as a candidate for president to the rest of America. I don't want to see that exported to other states. I want to see something happen in South Carolina that gives the citizens the benefits of living here. Now, if you look at the rest of the states in the country, the red states, their life expectancy is generally seven years less than the life expectancy in blue states. That tells you something. So access to health care, good education, good jobs, union jobs, in which, by the way, one of the statistics in this huge report that came out shows that union members who live under collective bargaining agreements tend to have a much longer life expectancy than non-union workers. And why is that? 
They can bargain for good, high-quality health care and insurance. They can bargain for safe workplaces. They can bargain for educational opportunities. They bargain for the good things in life. And yet, um, why we have this divide, I cannot understand. Um, the, the statistics now, the facts are pretty clear. Uh, and we have a government that can't function to even for us to even have this debate on a national scale. And, Tom, we should point out to get back to uh, South Carolina because of what Nikki Haley did. She gave away all the tax money to Boeing. They have an educational system that's not functional, and they can't find the people smart enough to work in that Boeing plant. Isn't that the case? Yes. Uh, I. This is uh, just amazing. This was all about Boeing getting tax break at the taxpayer's expense. And to put a plant in South Carolina, we can always debate that, but there's no educational system capable or that exists today to support the type of workforce Boeing needs. There's a very high-tech, very advanced work site. And that's the plant, by the way, that gave us a lot of planes that had a lot of problems and uh, grounded 787s, cracks appearing in uh, carbon fiber fuselages and stuff. They still have those pro problems with foreign debris in critical areas of the aircraft. And that means, you know, something was left inside a part that shouldn't have been there. These are all the things that add up that create big obstacles for a company. But they chose to put the plant there. Nikki Haley basically bought them to put the plant there, used taxpayers' money to do it, and then leaves them high and dry because there's no workforce. I uh, There's something wrong with that process in America. There's a lot of things wrong with that, Tom. A lot of things wrong. You know, we're going to have to button it up on that note. Tom Buffenberger our independent labor voice, calling it out. I mean, there's a big difference in America, the red states and the blue states, and people need to know that. And we talk about that on the show. That's why we do this show called America's Workforce. You take care, my brother. We'll talk to you in a month, okay? Sure thing, Flash, and best to you and your listeners, and thanks for doing this show. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow, the heat and frost insulators. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.